What a tremendous spirit of the Lord. If you haven't quite figured it out, what I'd really like to do is everybody get on the same page. But there's something special in this place tonight. Why don't we do that right now? Everybody here, everybody here, just push out everything that crowds your mind. Lord, God, prepare us, prepare us, prepare us. I'm not in any hurry right now. I'm not in any hurry. Will you right now just begin to tell the Lord you surrender? Come on, will you do that, Lord? I surrender. I surrender. Hallelujah. I am convinced that when Peter said, Lord, bid me come out onto the water that you stand on, I am convinced that what drove him to get out of the boat was the recollection and the memory of something that had happened in the deep prior to that. And that was an isolated encounter that we very seldom ever talk about, but it was when Jesus and Peter were alone in the boat together. They were alone in the boat together. Jesus said, you know what, Peter? Everybody else is, is in the safe place. Everybody else is fishing from the shore. Why don't you just launch out a little ways into the deep? Just you and me. Just you and me. Peter straightway did what the Lord had asked him. When he got out in the deep, the Lord began to challenge him to launch, cast out. I am firmly convinced that when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he said, you know, I've seen God do the miraculous in the deep before. And I'm convinced that when he stepped out of that water, his whole drive and his whole purpose was last time I got out in the deep was with him in the boat. But he's not in the boat right now. And so I just want to be where he is. And that's kind of what I feel in the Holy Ghost. I want to be where he is tonight. No matter how uncomfortable it is, I want to be right where he is. So is there anybody willing this evening to step out of the boat? Come on, he's not going to be found on the shores of the common complacent. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter number 6, verse number 45. I feel a explicit word from the Lord. So good to have Brother Townley back. How many of you love your pastor? Amen. Mark 6, verse number 45. Tonight I will be preaching to you on our response or responding to contrary winds. Mark 6.45, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. While he sent away the people, and when he had sent them away, he 
departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea. And he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. That last phrase in and of itself is extremely thought-provoking, that he would have passed by them. But tonight, just for a little bit, and I'm, I don't know how emotional I'm going to be. I just kind of feel like divine providence has set something up for this evening. And so tonight, responding to contrary winds. You may be seated in the wonderful name of the Lord. The chapter that I read to you this evening in our text takes us the beginning of the Lord looking at his disciples. They're telling them that they are to go out two by two into the communities of the surrounding nations that they are living around. And so the disciples go and they are given the mandate and the commandment of the Lord that Whoever does not accept you, whoever does not receive you, just shake the dust off your feet for a testimony against them. For verily I say unto you, it shall be more favorable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so with the authority of the word of the Lord, and the authority that had been breathed out upon them through the divine articulation of the master, the disciples two by two began to take the journey into that surrounding arena, the country in which they were in. The Bible tells us that if we were to really take a look at it, the Bible tells us that uh, they had gone for quite some time that they had journeyed around the countryside and this was in my opinion the prelude to the apostolic church being sent out into the nations of the world and this was a prelude of the Lord to show his disciples what his authority meant in the operation of modern ordinary mortal men and so the Bible says that during this subsequent week the going out of the disciples, the two by two, that there were devils that were being cast out and there were sick that were being healed. And subsequent with this, the Bible brings us to the story of the cousin of the Lord who went before the king and told the king some things that the king did not appreciate. And long story short, it is here, and I want you to understand this, that John the Baptist was beheaded through the treasonous activity of a lewd dance that had occurred. I want you to understand that what was happening at this moment was the moment that John the Baptist had been beheaded. A transition was occurring. There was a strong transition that we overlooked that when John the Baptist was beheaded that there began to be a group of men that claimed to be the disciples of John that began to wander aimlessly without a leader. So, number one, it was the marking of a great transition, a great uh, uh, movement towards Jesus the Christ. Now the figurehead and the fountainhead that pointed the way towards Jesus has just died. And it is subsequent, I want you to understand this, that it is during the process of the Lord revealing his power among the countryside that the devils are being cast out and sickness is being healed. But in the midst of the miraculous there is tragedy in the midst of God doing a great work there is unexplained there is the unknown there 
is uh, the things that make people scratch their head and say, I don't understand why in the midst of all the great stuff that's happening, why is it that John the Baptist has to die? It is here that the Bible says uh, that receiving word that John the Baptist had died, that the disciples had come back to the Lord. They were tired. They were weary. They were depressed. And uh, yet in the midst of it all, the one one gospel tells us that uh, they began to tell the Lord, my goodness, Jesus, uh, we watched devils being cast out. Uh, We saw the sick healed uh, in your name. Jesus in that moment, uh, even in the midst of the sorrow, even in the midst of the tragedy and the grief, uh, he said I beheld Satan uh, falling like lightning. I'm going to tell you what I believe Jesus was saying. Uh, Looking at them he was seeing the future of the apostolic church Uh, and what he was declaring is that through you uh, there's coming a day uh, where the kingdom of the devil is coming down. There's coming a day in which uh, Satan is going to fall. He's going to fall. He's going to fall. He's going to fall. You know, let me just throw this in here. When I first come across Satan, uh, the Bible shows me that there's a war in heaven uh, and he's fallen. When I see him again, Jesus declares uh, he's fallen. When I get to the end of the story, uh, there's a bottomless pit uh, that tells me he falls and falls and falls and falls and falls. You serve a risen God that opposes a falling Satan. Come on, we can't be pulled down by the enemy of this world. He is falling even now as we speak. Somebody needs to remind him, you're always falling and my Christ is always rising. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Somebody shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Why don't somebody let the devil know your kingdom is coming down? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even when he descended, Jesus didn't fall down into hell. He descended. There is a difference. He descended with the intention of ascending with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He is a risen Lord, and there is a falling devil. Somebody right now needs to tell your enemy, uh, you haven't made me fall. When I fall, I can get back up. But you don't get back up. You don't have an opportunity to get back up. Somebody needs to tell the devil. Come on, some of you may, might have made a mistake in the past few days. But you can get back up. Because there's a risen God. There's a risen Lord that will lift you up out of the clay. So they're tired. They're weary. And they tell him, Lord, we've seen all these things. My God, I wonder what it was like for Peter, for James, and for John, and for Nathaniel, and for Andrew to have sat there with a brother and have laid hands upon the sick and say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Hey, he hadn't even died on the cross yet, but he was all God in the flesh and he had delivered his authority and power to a group of men and they had seen the power of God move. And so the Lord in that gospel said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And there the excitement of the hour doesn't take away from the tragedy of the moment. John has been beheaded. Disciples that 
followed him are engaging in a transition. They are following and moving without a leader. They are doing what they can. I don't find much in the Bible that tells me what they did, but I can just tell you that any time a revolution loses a leader, that it is a time of great tragedy. It was a time of tragedy for the Lord, although the necessity, the moment demanded that John transition, that great decrease make way for the increase of the Lord. And so it was the disciples in that moment, they were tired, they were weary, and the Lord, having talked to them about Satan falling like lightning, tells us that when the disciples had gathered themselves unto Jesus and told him things, both of what they had done and what they had taught, that Jesus looked at them, and you've got to pay attention here, he said, Come ye yourselves apart uh, unto a desert place uh, and rest just for a little while. For the Bible says that there were many comings uh, and goings and the disciples uh, have not even had so much leisure time uh, as to eat. And so it is that the Lord uh, recognizes that in the dynamic and process uh, of just doing the work of God, just doing what God's required of them to do. Even though there's been miracles, even though there's been things that have happened, people still get tired. Ministry still gets tired. Churches still lose motivation. Churches still reach a place of where they say, you know what? I just don't think I can do this any longer. Everybody that lives for the Lord is going to find out that there's times that you get tired. There's revival services you just don't want to go to. There's things you just don't feel like doing. There's prayer meetings that you just want to sleep through. There's things that you do for the Lord. You just reach a place. And Jesus understands that. He isn't a cruel, hard taskmaster like the Pharaoh of Egypt. But he's a God that longs to get you away into a desert place. He longs to get you away so that he can minister to your needs. He longs to take you to the wilderness. Why? Because he in his own isolation has found solace and comfort in the place that most people reject and deny. He'll ask you to go away to a place that most people wouldn't think to be a place of reprieve and a place of safety and a place of rest. But he looked at his disciples who are tired and they're hungry and they had had no time to even eat a morsel to eat and he says come on let's go to the desert and let us eat just for a little while let's rest our weary bones and so the Bible says that in the process of getting away, I really want you to understand this. The disciples are tired. They're weary. Everybody say they're weary. They are just plumb wore out. Their bellies are rumbling. They really want to sit down and eat. They've been ministering to the masses for a long time. There's tragedy that has happened. And there's this paradox of living for the Lord. The good things that are happening and the bad things that are happening. And sometimes you can get so lost in all of it that all of a sudden you realize, I don't have anything left to give. I don't have anything left in this moment. And so the Lord says, come on, let's go away. And when the people saw them departing and many knew him, Jesus, they ran a foot thither out of the cities and outwent them. They got ahead of them. They were going to go get a reprieve in the desert, but the hungry and the needy and the broken and the hurting, they couldn't bear to watch Jesus walk away. And so as Jesus with his ragtag crew of weary travelers, weary disciples, weary men of God, he was moved with compassion towards those that had ran ahead. You've got to 
to recognize this. The disciples are still tired. They still haven't eaten. They're expecting to get away and be encouraged with the Lord all by themselves. That's what they really want. That's what they really need. But oh, Jesus is moved with compassion. He can't turn away from the hungry. He can't turn away from the weary because with Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God must go forward. The kingdom of God must go on with him no matter how tired, no matter how weary he got. He was always struck with compassion. He was always moved with a heart that beat. I must needs go through Samaria. I've got to turn aside and see a sinner that climbed up a little tree and visit him in his home. I'm thankful for a compassionate God. I'm thankful for a God that no matter what, no matter when, when the cries of the hurting come forth, it'll stop him in his tracks. And yet that doesn't take away from the weariness of his disciples. It doesn't take away from the effort and the pouring out of themselves. They were partners with Christ. Christ didn't do it all himself, but he expected his people, even in the midst of their weariness and their tiredness, I'm in the Holy Ghost tonight, uh, he expected them to partner with him in ministering to those uh, that needed God. The Bible says that he begins to teach uh, them many things because to Jesus Christ, uh, they were as sheep without a shepherd and he had to become a shepherd to them. He couldn't just let the sheep wander free but he had to call them in and say I am the door. I am the door. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. And yet the Bible says having taught them having instructed them, having ministered to them, the Bible says when the day was now far spent, the disciples had not eaten yet. The disciples had not rested yet. The disciples had not felt a reprieve from their ministrations to the people. They were in a desert place and the Bible reveals their hunger to get alone with God. The Bible reveals as many times you and I have been their hunger just to get isolated to not see anybody else and so they approached the Lord and they said Jesus this is a desert place it's not suited for the people and the time is far past come on Jesus we're tired we're weary we ministered so long now we just need to get alone with you and Jesus looks at them when they told him hey, come on, send them away. The people are getting as hungry as we are getting. And there's nothing here to feed them. And so the Bible says that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus didn't send them away. But what really moves upon me when I read the story is that there was a little boy with five loaves and two fishes. And here's what the Lord does. And I want everybody to hear me. This is a group of men that have been ministering for the Lord. They're tired. They're weary. They're hungry. And at the apex of their weariness, when it seems like they can go no further, God stretches them a little farther. He says, you know what? I'm going to provide the miracle, but I'm not going to feed them. And I've come to find out the Lord spoke to me in prayer one day. How is it that God can get empty men to deliver food to people that are empty when they should have fed? And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, there's times that God will bring you to your emptiest state because only then and only then can you truly empathize and minister to the empty. Until you become empty yourself, it's hard to minister to the hurting, the broken, the dying, and the lost. But when somebody 
he's hungry when somebody stands before the Lord empty. I'm telling you, God can use you in that moment in a way that he's never used you before. Don't get frustrated with the emptiness. Don't get frustrated with your weariness. He'll stretch you sometimes because in that moment you'll be able to understand what it really takes to minister to people that feel like you feel. He'll take you to a place to where suddenly you have a voice in the life of people that you never had a voice in. You can pick up the phone and call another preacher in the middle of your weariness and your battle that's going through a storm and say, brother, I know that you're empty, but I've got some bread and I'm just as empty as you are. And something begins to happen when you minister from an empty position. I'm telling you, God can use you. You better celebrate sometimes. I know that I'm empty, but help me to minister to the empty. I know that I'm broken, but I want to minister to the broken. I know that I'm hurting, but maybe I can minister to the hurting every moment of every time. Come on, let's love the Lord. Let's praise Him right now. Let's give Him glory. Let's give Him honor. Come on, all over this house, let it be the uproar of people that understand great and greatly to be praised is our Lord. Oh, I'm telling somebody right now, you're empty because God's got a plan for you to deliver something to another empty person. He's got you where you are because you're going to bring the bread of life to somebody else that is in the same place that you are. And the disciples, when he told them this. When God said, I gotta stretch you just a little bit uh, while you're hungry. And we came here a long time ago so that I could minister to you. Just keep going just a little bit longer. I need you to minister to them. I know you're hungry and I haven't forgotten about you, but I need you to minister to the masses. See, it doesn't end there. After they have given all, after they have divided people into companies, It was long and laborious. Weary men, their legs probably beginning to tremble. They're probably feeling the pangs of hunger. Their their backbone, like a lot of southerners say, was probably gnawing on their belly button. I just think in that moment they were starting to think, now that we've fed everybody else, now that we've given everybody else, now he's going to minister to us. But listen to me what the Lord tells them. They've come, they're tired, they're weary, they haven't eaten, and God... God stretched them a little further to minister to the masses. And God has the audacity to tell them that if you're hungry, you go gather the fragments from those you've just ministered to. I'm telling you, something about that just begun to strike me. God could have fed them himself. But what is God doing at times where you're stretched the most? I'm telling every apostolic saint of God, from me down to everybody else, we need to learn at times that God's not going to feed us and God's not going to snap his fingers and take care of our problems but there's times like David said I had to learn how to encourage myself in the Lord. There's times you're going to have to go back out and gather the fragments of your labor. You're going to have to beg the food from those you've ministered to because God's going to stretch you. God's going to humble you. God wants to see, are you really willing to go further in the kingdom of God? Because if you're going to do something for the Lord, you've got to understand he'll stretch you sometimes to the point of no return. And just when you feel like you can't do another thing, he says, go get your own bread. Feed yourself. Honey, I'm telling you, you've got to learn how to feed yourself. You can't wait on your pastor to always do it. You can't wait on ministry to always do it. But you've got to get into a prayer prayer closet and say, okay, bread of heaven, here's my basket. Give me something back. I'll gather it. I'll fight for it. I'll move for it. But we must learn how to feed ourselves. 
I've stumbled many a service into a darkened prayer room. Nobody there weeping unto the Lord and saying, God, I'm stretched out. I can't give any more. I'm hurting. I can't feel you in prayer. And oh, something in me just knows. Go the distance. Come on, just push a little harder. Just push a little further. Get your own bread. And if I don't feel like praising him, I'll start to move through a prayer room, empty, broken, hurting, and I'll start to encourage myself in what he is. I'll say, God, you are still my provider. You are still my healer. You are still my deliverer. You are still the bright and the morning star. I know that weeping may endure for a night, but it's said may. It isn't guaranteed all night. And so in the darkness of my moment, I'm going to celebrate you because any moment really got to learn how to feed ourselves. And so they come. They have in their hands 12 baskets. They've gathered their own bread. They've ministered to thousands. They've been there all day. In the hot, desert, arid region of their life. They're tired. I can't do any more. Finally, When you think that everything is settled down. Finally, when you think, now we have a chance to rest. Just when you think after the greatest miracle, just when you see the transition of a ministry from John to Jesus, just when you see the overwhelming response of Jesus to the hungry, finally, finally, he's going to let us sit down. Because he knows better than everybody else. I can't do any more. I'm plumb wore out. And yet, God doesn't do that. At the point in which I believe they are more hungry than they've ever been. And they are more weary. I feel the Holy Ghost. They are more weary than they've ever been. There's a time when weariness will come upon you that you really don't even know right from left and forward from back. And all you have to go on is the commitment and the restraint of a Savior that says go. God is a moving God. And so the church, he made it clear, is always to be in motion. I just come to tell somebody right now, you can't afford to stop, you can't afford to quit, you can't afford to sit down. There's times when you stretch as low as you're ever going to go that you just got to push. And you got to say, okay, if he wants me to move, I'm going to move. If I don't have any energy left but to crawl upon the ground, then I'm going to crawl upon the ground. Oh, I'm going to crawl. And so the Lord turns to him and says, straightway. He didn't wait 30 minutes. He didn't wait an hour. He didn't wait two hours with the townly. He didn't wait to give them strength in their bodies. He didn't even tell them, I want you to eat out of the baskets of that which you've gathered. But instead, he said, I want you right now, straightway, constrain the disciples to get in the ship and go to the other side. I want you to understand that all that's happening at this point, that what God is trying to do with everything that has brought them to this point, is it's all about getting to the other side. God has a plan and a purpose and destiny for those that are going to serve him. In other words, he looked at them and said, hey, guys, I, I want you right now. Get in the boat. I want you to get across to the other side. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. But I've got some loose ends that tie up on this side because uh, there's always those that are not going to be willing to travel to the other side. But I'm telling you something. There's going to be a transition uh, that if we can get from this side to the other side, the Bible makes it clear that when they got to that other side, uh, that nobody had to tell anybody Jesus was there. Uh, but when Jesus got there, it said everybody knew him uh, and everybody began to draw upon him. And the miracles that happened on the other side were more plenteous than the miracles that happened on that side. I'm going to tell you that what God does is he'll stretch you to the point of no return with the purpose of those that are willing to hold out. Those that are willing to push. Those that are willing to live by faith. Those that are willing to go farther than they've ever gone. I'm going to let them get to a place where everybody else doesn't get to. But I'm going to push you. I'm going to drive you. I'm going to push you with with no restraint. And so the Bible says, and I'm almost done. The Bible says they got the boat. And he sent them away. They're tired and they're weary. 
I'm closing. They're more weary than they've ever been. But Jesus wants them to precede him to the other side. I want you to hear me right now. He wanted them to make the way, to proceed the way, to get to the other side. And he sends them in their most perilous of moments, in their most pitiful places and positions of life. And they get in the boat and they begin to row. And Jesus doesn't go with them. That's where I feel right now. And that's where I feel so strongly in the Holy Ghost. That we are right now at the shores of one side. And Jesus Christ is compelling us. I want you to go to the other side. There's going to be those that are going to stay where they are. And the ministrations of the bread and the miracle on that side is enough. But what God intends and what God purposes for this church is so much bigger than what that side has ever experienced. And so it would seem that everything's not working like we want it to work and things are falling apart and things are not happening the way that we wish that they would happen. Uh, It would seem that though things are not ministering to us as we need ministering to, but the purpose of it all uh, is we've got to get to the other side Uh, because if we can precede him uh, and make way on the other side, uh, there's going to be something bigger. Uh, There's going to be something greater. Uh, There's going to be something that we've never experienced before. Uh, We're going to see miracles, signs, and wonders. I'll tell you right now without reservation, I feel a spirit of prophecy. This is all about getting to the other side. I know that we're stretched thin. I know that some of us are weary. I know that some of us are tired. Some of us can't seem top from bottom. He's got a stretch for a reason. He just wants to see, are there going to be any holdouts? Because if you're going to get to the other side, you can't have reservations. You can't quit. You can't change your mind. You can't get there and be a quitter. It's going to take determination. It's going to take a boat up mind and a boat up spirit that puts your head to the wind and says, I'm not backing down. I'm not going to quit. I don't care how tired I am. I don't care how broke I am. I don't care what's happened on the job. But God wants me to get to the other side. God wants me to go somewhere that I've never gone before and I can stay where I've always been. Or I can go to the other side. Come here, bro. You, big, big man, come on. You. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that when they began to row, Jesus was taking care of things on the other side. Isn't it amazing, Brother Townley? God will always bring up the rear of the flock. God will always tie up loose ends. Even though we know that people are going to get left behind. The mercy of a ministering God is I need you to get across there. But I got a few people to finalize. I got a few cords to tie to people that maybe they'll make it to the end. And maybe they'll make that journey one day with you. The Bible says when they got into the midst of that sea, when you read it, it literally tells us the furlongs of what it was, but it was literally anywhere between three to six miles. It's a long way to go when you're tired and weary and broken and hungry. And when they reach the middle, the Bible says, get in front of me, just stand stand in front of me. Bible says a contrary wind. Push. Come on, push me. I'm trying to get past. (laughs) And all of a sudden, in the middle, they've only covered half the ground. And you got a group of men that are so tired. They got baskets full of bread, broken little fragments of what they've gathered. God's not there. They haven't eaten all day and they're weary. And all of a sudden, the opposition to the other side begins to confront them. And it's a contrary wind. Because 
right there in the middle. God, I don't think I can row anymore. I don't think that I can. Peter, I'm tired. I know you are, Andrew, but we got to get to the other side. John, where's Jesus? My arms are trembling. I'm, I'm going to lose this, this aura. My, my fingers are bleeding. I can't fight against this. We're tolling and we're rowing and we're trying to get to the other side. And at their weariest moment, God allows contrary winds to meet them in the middle. Keep pushing. Come on, three of the other guys. Come on, get over here. Hurry. Help me push. Come on. Oh. No. You lose a little ground. The winds keep pushing. I can't make it. Bread's still sitting in the baskets. Why are you doing this, God? What do you consider to be the middle? Marks the edge for Christ. And I have felt in the Holy Ghost today. That this thing's hitting contrary winds. And there's been a few services where the winds have gained a little ground. We've left reeling and we've put a couple feet back. We come back tonight. It's not just another revival service. But we're in the middle. The reason for the contrary wind is all God's wanting to find out. Are there any holdouts? Is there anybody that's talked a big talk? Is there anybody that said they really want to go the distance? Because those that I'm going to take to the other side where the miracles are going to be poured out. I want you to hear me right now. This church has not even experienced even a fledgling of what God wants to do in this city. I feel such an anointing in this place. But what happens so many times is when we reach the end of our rope and all of a sudden contrary winds begin to blow against us, people turn back and they go back to the place of the comfort of grass in a desert place where they know that God fed them before. Oh, I just kind of feel like something in my spirit saying I'm not going to turn back. And the perspective, Brother Townley, of all this that's going on is that in Peter's weakest moment, he hasn't eaten, he's tired, he's ministered, he's got nothing left to give. And all of a sudden, Jesus would have passed him by. And what we miss is Christ would have went to the other side while the contrary wind buffeted them. But one man said, hey, is that you? Uh 
what we fail to realize is Peter's greatest miracle happened in the midst of a contrary wind. The wind had not ceased. The wind was still blowing. They were still fighting. They were still pushing. They were still striving. And they're stuck in the middle. God have mercy. I'm telling you, the Lord spoke to me. They're stuck in the middle. And one man, if we don't catch it, says, if this boat ain't going to gain ground, then I will. I'm tired, I'm broken, I'm weary, I'm hungry. I don't have anything left to give. And the boat's not moving. The wind's blowing. But Jesus, would you bid me come? Because let somebody cross the middle. Let somebody get past this contrary wind. Let So what you have happening in the Holy Ghost uh, is when Jesus bid Peter to get out of the boat uh, and step into the water, uh, it was one man showing everybody else in the boat uh, that was being resisted by contrary wind uh, that wasn't gaining an inch. Uh, Hey, uh, we can get past this. Uh, We can get past this. Uh, We can get past this. Uh, We can get past that. So right now, a man, Jesus says, come on. And a man steps out into contrary winds. He's not just treading water. He's treading a force. I wish we could see it. The bent figure of Peter. I'm coming. I'm coming. The guys in the boat, Peter! Somebody doesn't get out, and he's going to keep going. But if I can get out, and I can arrest his attention, even when the storm begins to overwhelm the man, he's resisting the boat, but it's overwhelming the man. And in that moment of time, a man says, Jesus, you got to help me. I feel the Holy Ghost. So tonight, I believe without a shadow of that, I deliver the mind of God. This boat is hitting contrary winds. And anybody that's spiritually discerning enough feels and knows we're fighting. I said anybody that is spiritually discerning enough, I've had some of you elders come shake my hand and tears run down your eyes. So, Brother Hatton, oh, we need this. Want to know why? Because the buffeting of the winds. And you don't feel like you can go forward. So I want to know, is there anybody?
Is there anybody on a Tuesday night that's going to stop caring about what anybody thinks about you? That's going to say, Pastor Townley, we're going to fight like we've never fought before. We're not going to turn back. We're not going to abandon this. We're not going to walk away from this. We're not going to get comfortable. We're not going to lose ground. I'm not going to allow my job circumstance to affect my giving. I'm not going to let the things of life that are coming against me push me back one inch. I'm not going to let anything determine the forward progress of where we're going. Come on, if you feel that way, I'm giving you the altar call. But I feel like somebody needs a charge with their shoulders braced against the wind. Brother Townley, we're doing this together. We're going to get to the other side. We're going to fight. We're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to battle. I refuse to lose ground. I refuse to lose ground. I refuse. Come on, when you come, I want you to come with a battle cry. I want you to come with a war. I want you to come with a made-up mind. I'm not backing down. I'm not backing down. I'm not backing down. The contrary winds can push, but I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back. Come on, I need some intercessors. I need some travailers. I need somebody to make up their mind. Come on, you may not feel like it, but I feel we're in the middle, which is God's edge. Somebody push. Somebody pray. Somebody tell God, I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to get into the contrary wind.